Reading from James 1, 19 through 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the word. Father, this is your word. And here is your church. Feed us on it today, we pray. Now this morning, I'm not going to say everything there is to be said about this passage. Uh, we're all used to reform preaching and we know that uh, one verse can often mean uh, two weeks, three weeks. So we're going to be looking at some very specific things. And I said this, that, that to say this, there's a whole lot about this passage that, that's worth uh, being preached that isn't going to get preached today. I've titled the message today, Christian Discipline in the Digital Age. And if you're anything like me, as I'd be sitting in the back going, I'm not sure about this particular title. I mean, um, I don't know if they told the guy, but we are kind of expository preaching folks and not really topical preaching folks. And uh, the word of God is timeless. And it, you can just preach the timeless word of God and it doesn't matter what age you're in. And I say, Amen. Because if I was sitting in the back, that's what I would be thinking. And <laughs> maybe I need to repent of that and stop doing it. But it occurs to me as I was thinking about this that, uh, let me tell it this way. In the early centuries of the church, when plagues would come around, more Christians would die from plagues as a percentage of the demographic than everyone else. And the reason that more Christians died from plagues than everyone else was because of their Christian ethic, the oughtness of the Christian life, told them that they ought not leave people to suffer and die alone. And so in the age of plague, when someone was preaching, love your brother, it was appropriate for them to say, in this age... Love your neighbor as yourself means not leaving them to suffer and die alone. So when you look at the Bible through the lens of your culture, using your culture as the lens through which you see the Bible, you are always going to go wrong. But if you fail to look at your culture through the lens of the Bible, you are also always going to go wrong. 
And so there are a few things about particularly our media culture that I want to look at today and talk about from this passage in James what Christian discipline looks like in our media culture. With the Lord's help, that's our goal. So I'm going to read again uh, the back end of verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now I'm going to give you a term that can be your fun water cooler term for, for next week. Like, you can, you can stand at the water cooler and sound really smart when you're talking to your fr- friends and co-workers and say, you know, I really dislike CNN's perpetual use of Russell conjugation in their newscasting. So I'm going to tell you what Russell conjugation is and the way that it affects you, the way that it intends to affect you. Uh, I'm going to read very briefly from the opening of an essay on Russell conjugation by Eric Weinstein. He's a mathematician and economist. Tell me how much of this you hear in your culture, our culture. We are told that we are entitled to our own opinions, but not our own facts. This leaves out the observation that the war for our minds and attention is now increasingly being waged over neither facts nor opinions, but feelings. In an era in which anyone can publish anything, the quest to control information has largely been lost by institutions with a race on to weaponize empathy by understanding its basics in linguistics and tweaking the social media algorithms which now present our world to us accordingly. As the theory goes, it is not that we don't have our own opinions so much as that we have too many contradictory ones, and it is generally our emotional state alone which determines on which ones we will predicate our action or inaction. Now that's a lot to swallow, so let me give you an example. A man goes to listen to a presentation by the president of a motor corporation, GM, the the, the executive chairman, president of the board, GM. Stands to give a presentation. The man walks out and he goes, man, I want to buy some GM stock because that guy really knows cars. Now, if you look carefully at that situation, what you'll see is the man answered the wrong question. Because the real question when you're considering buying a stock, the the only question when you're considering buying a stock, is is this stock underpriced or is this stock overpriced? But that's a difficult and complicated question. And the question he could relate to immediately was how the presenter made him feel about the presenter. And so the object in Russell conjugation also called emotive conjugation, is to use language such that we make our decisions based on emotion rather than on the fact. That we come to a different decision than we would have if we reasoned up the question from first principles. I'll give an example of of the way this works in language. Every word that we use, its definition is really made up of two parts. There's its semantic meaning, 
the thing the word actually indicates, the thing itself, and there's the emotional context of that particular word. And both of those make up uh, the definition of a word. I'll give uh, this example. Whistleblower, kind of heroic. Uh, those people are put up. But snitch, tattletale, think. Synonyms in terms of their general meaning, but in terms of the emotions they build in us, very different. Resolute, yeah. A virtue, a resolute. The president sits at the resolute desk. This is all very impressive, stubborn, <laughs> pig-headed. Three words with the same meaning and very different emotional contexts. So using very careful word choice in order to present a very specific emotional context is the way that the media at large and, and social media in particular is attempting to influence our decision-making. There's a Silicon Valley pioneer guru uh, by the name of Jaron Lanier, and I'm going to paraphrase him here. He says this, if there's a service that is worth money and you can get it for free, then you're not the customer, you're the product. So with all these social media platforms, and I'm not, don't mishear me, I'm not saying that social media is a villain or a bad thing or a part that, that shouldn't be in our lives. Social media, in fact, will be for some of you your mission field because there is a community there and you can represent Christ there and you can proclaim the gospel there. But these things are happening and, and you need to know it. So this idea that you're not the customer, you're the product, is the idea that by use of algorithms, remember, uh, for those of you who are on Facebook, remember when you used to just see everything and all of a sudden you got a curated feed and your curated feed was going to be the things that were most interesting for you and all of a sudden some of the people that you used to follow and, and pay attention to dropped off completely and you had to go and subscribe to them or you would miss some of their messages. Well, the purpose of this feed initially is to keep your eyes on the page. So every time you maneuver around the page in, in any kind of social media, the, uh, in the background, the website listens or the app listens for how long you spend on which seconds. I mean, how many seconds you spend in which sections and when you click and when you scroll and what you mouse over and what you click on. And all this is collected. And the purpose for which they use it is to keep your eyes on the part of the page they want you to look at for as long as possible so that they can sell advertisements. Because they're attempting to change your behavior because you're not the customer, you're the product. And, and that's okay. We can be aware of that. We can say, okay, we're the product our eyes on these advertisements are what they're getting and what we're getting in return is this connection with friends who are maybe distant and this is how we see our family's photos. And, and all of that is okay. There's nothing wrong with that kind of trade. But be aware that it's going on. And see, this is where, this is where James is applicable because you have to be quick to listen. You have to pay attention to the words that are used. And you have to think things through 
from first principles, from a biblical worldview, from a biblical ethic. You have to consider these things. Being quick to listen, paying attention, less quick to speak. This is one reason that this morning we, we sang the song that we sang. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Because our media, by and large, and I'm not painting them as a villain, don't want us to have careful ears. But we need to listen, look, read carefully. And we need to know what really is the message behind the message. I'll give an example from our culture. The the story broke last spring that NPR, and I listen to NPR. Some of you may want to have a talk with me about that later and convince me not to, but I do listen to NPR. Um, Last spring, they came out with a sort of rubric as to how they were to discuss abortion in any of their news stories. And the word abortion was forbidden to be used by in any of their news stories except as a quotation from someone. So if someone said something that included the word abortion, then they could, they could use it as part of that equa- quotation. But they were never to, in, 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 uh, to, for instance, refer to abortion services or abortion provider. Termination of pregnancy is one that's chosen. And and you can see immediately when we say abortion, we say that a life has been ended. And when we say termination of pregnancy, we no longer refer to the child's life at all. We're saying that the mother had a condition and that condition is no longer applied. So between abortion and termination of pregnancy, we removed the child from the equation. And so we no longer say abortion and we no longer say abortion providers. We say reproductive care providers. And this is in the rubric for NPR. They are to refer to all abortion services as reproductive care services. And they are to refer to all abortion providers as reproductive care providers. Be quick to listen. Because this is the way that our world works Reading again, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That initial impulse of anger may be what you want from, what they want from you. And to tell the truth, there is a godly anger in saying that you can't say, This is termination of pregnancy because you've left the child out of the equation. There is a godly anger in saying that. And there's a godly anger in saying this has nothing to do with reproductive health and everything to do with the termination of a human person. There's a godly anger in saying that. And there comes a time to speak. It does say be slow to speak. It doesn't say never speak. And it comes a time to speak and it comes a time to show forth that godly anger. Just know as you listen carefully, how the car is being steered and don't let it take you for a ride.
continuing on. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I have a fun condition. It's called prosopagnosia. And uh, the common term for it is face blind. I don't recognize faces. Now, I'm able to recognize people because they have a certain hairstyle or they have a certain glasses or they have a certain style they typically dress in and and they have a, a certain style of clothes and I see them in certain locations and I can put all those clues together and recognize people, but I don't recognize people by their faces, not even my own family. I once spent an hour in a restaurant wondering if the person across the restaurant was wondering whether or not the person across the restaurant from me was my nephew who I'd lived at that time in the same town with and, and seen perpetually for almost 20 years. But I didn't know whether it was him or not. It was a little bit different hair and he was in the wrong place and, and I couldn't be sure. I, I ran into a man at the bank and I had a friend at church named Sam and a coworker at work named Pasu, and they both had about the same build and they both same clothes, uh, similar hairstyles, glasses, about the same age, about the same way of, of kind of moving and going through the world. And I talked with that man for 15 minutes to this day. I have no idea which of the two it was. Yeah, so if I see you in public and I act like I don't recognize you, I don't. <laughs> but this is the relevance to James. This, uh, this particular uh, condition, disability, whatever you want to call it, is com- more common, it's rare, but it's more common among people on the autism spectrum than people who are not on the autism spectrum. And so as the, the scientists and psychologists look at this, they wonder, there's a theory that says that uh, people on the autism spectrum are notoriously bad at eye contact. And so what they begin to believe about the reason this is more common uh, among autistic people is because they don't look people in the face and they've never looked people in the face. And when their brain was developing, they didn't very much make eye contact. And as they go through life, they didn't very much make eye contact. And throughout the course of their life, they simply haven't seen enough faces to recognize faces. Well... This is the relevance to James, looking particularly at what he says about the man who looks at himself in the mirror and immediately goes away and forgets what he looks like. And James here is talking about the difference between hearers of the word and doers of the word. And he says a hearer of the word who does not also do is like a man who looks in the mirror and immediately goes away and forgets what he looks like. I want to suggest... And James will back me up here in a little bit. But I want to suggest that one of the reasons that we are like that man who looked in the mirror, walked away and forgot what he looked like, is because we never looked deeply in the mirror to begin with. One of the reasons, not the only reasons, but one of the reasons that we walk away from the scripture 
and don't change the way that we live is because we didn't look deeply enough to begin with. Now, I don't want to rush past exactly what James means here because there's a little bit of depth, and so I'm going to pull it out. But this this, uh, example of the man in the mirror, this illustration, is well and intentionally chosen. See, Scripture is to us a mirror. By holding up the law of God and the light of God and the love of God and the character of Jesus Christ, when we look at ourselves in the light of Scripture, we see what we are that we ought not be and what we aren't that we ought to be. And we should not forget those things. And those things should inform us. And if those things do inform us, then by the grace of God and by the power of His Spirit, our lives will change. And so that's specifically uh, why, why James chooses a mirror here, because the scripture is to us a mirror. And we ought not forget what we see about ourselves in there, and it ought to uh, affect our lives. But uh, going back, is, is, uh, it's interesting, I'll tell you this too, a little bit of trivia. There is the opposite of being face blind. There are people who are called super recognizers, colloquially. And Scotland Yard has a unit of super recognizers that they use to investigate cases. Now, that's a job I'm never going to have, but it's a really cool job, and there should be a movie about it. Maybe my job will be to write the movie about it. Anyway. Our culture, our media world, teaches us not to look at things deeply. It teaches us to take in what would have been to to people hundreds of years ago, an unbelievable barrage of short-form information and handle it all at once. The Internet is is almost, uh, well, it's the key example uh, of this. Um, I read a story recently about a literature professor who is showing an older person how to use the Internet. Well, I mean, the literature professor probably to many of you is the older person. But the old person was showing the even older person how to use the Internet for the first time. And the, the person who they're showing how to use the Internet uh, for the first time completely frustrated them because they would read every word down the page, down the page. And the literature professor, whose job and career it has been to read long-form writing and analyze and comment and teach it, that's not what you do. You, you skim and you look for these links that are underlined and you go from this link to this link to this link and you skitter down the rabbit hole until you find... He was completely frustrated because even those of us who are professionally in the long-form information business have had our brains literally changed by the barrage of short-form information. Twitter is a political hotbed. Twitter used to be limited to 140 characters a message. It's now 280. But people are discussing absolutely complex issues in a barrage of 280 character messages. And if you think because you aren't on social media, because you aren't often on the Internet, that you're immune from the way that that our media culture affects our attention span, you're not, because it's not just there. Let's look at television. In a half-hour television program, you get about 22 minutes of programming and about 8 minutes of commercials. And it's not all at once. They're interspersed throughout, and you watch them in 30-second blips. And and so you're used to kind of like, well, I watched 
five minutes of TV and then I get two minutes of commercial and then I watch seven minutes of TV and I get two minutes of five different commercials and I watch ten minutes of TV and I get seven more commercials. This is how we take in information, go to the grocery store, look around, look at the the rack next to the checkout, count the number of headlines that you just devoured like that in the brief short form. And this changes our brains. I mean, it literally changes our brains. See, we have this great feature built into our minds by God called neuroplasticity. And it's one of the most amazing healing things about the human mind. But what it is essentially is the things that you do, you get better at. Your mind adjusts to it. Your mind will actually even physically change. Going back to the land of Scotland Yard in London, cab drivers are required to memorize the city. And they literally go through years of training to memorize the city because London has been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And there were no city planners hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And some of these streets are original. It's become this enormous sprawl. So these London cab drivers will study by traveling around the city by bicycle or moped for years until they've got the city memorized. And then they have to go and take a very strenuous multi-hour test um, to, as to how well they memorize the city before they can get their license. So what they did is they took a group of cab drivers who had been driving for a number of years in London and, and stuck them in an MRI and examined their brains. And it turned out that the part of their brain that was used for visual spatial processing was larger than the general population. Now, it hadn't been. It wasn't for the guys studying. But because again and again, they use this part of their brain, then the connections in their brain literally physically changed and built up and got stronger. Now, again, this is God's gift for our healing. This is why people with uh, traumatic body injuries who, who lose a limb or... They can learn to adjust. Their brain can adapt and they can, you know, start using their left hand. They might have been right hand dominant. They start. So this is this feature of our healing. But that means that all this short form media changes the way our minds work. And if we are not disciplined about long form searches through the scripture, then we're not looking deeply into the mirror. Short-form media means short-form minds means short-form scripture. And that's not enough. And I love my short-form scripture. I love my verse-a-day calendars. I love my emails of daily gospel encouragement. I love devotionals. I love to flip on the radio and hear five minutes in church history or the podcast, whatever I'm listening to. I love all my short form stuff. And I encourage you, if, if you're of a mind, to add those bright spots to your day. But it's not enough. You're not looking deeply into the Word if that's all you have. We have, in order to be doers and not hearers, we have to have this discipline of looking deeply into the Word. We need to be the Scotland Yard super recognizers of the Word of God. Our instant gratification. Too long, didn't read, short form, media world. 
is changing the way that our minds work. And this is not paranoid preacher saying so, because I'm not very paranoid. But there are stacks of research saying this is literally physically happening and the way we process is literally physically happening. And the only way away from that is through the discipline of long-form study. And it needs to be a part of each and every one of our lives. And I said James would back me up. So we'll look a little bit lower in that section. In verse... 25, he's just described in verse 24, the man who looks in the mirror, forget what he looks like. Uh, In verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, two words, and perseveres. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We need this discipline always and at all times. It's been true of every age. But now more than ever, for the sake of the way that we think, we need the discipline of long-form scripture study. Finally, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So my question is, as I come to this section, uh, where are the widows and orphans? I, uh, I, have a, I, have a, I have a connection. I married into a connection to an orphan. Uh, my wife has for many years being sponsored a, a child in Nepal who is an orphan. And, and we get letters periodically and Christmas cards and Easter cards. And that's neat to see. And my wife, when she arrives home today, is going to find that she's got one lay, waiting for her. And it's, it's uh, but around here, where are the orphans? I worked at a children's shelter. And it was short-term care for kids in foster care. They weren't ever meant to be there for more than a couple of days, a couple of weeks at most. That didn't work out. And uh, I was walking along with my boss at this children's shelter, and he looks at me and he goes, you know this is an orphanage, right? I mean, this is an orphanage. These are orphans. We don't use that word anymore because it's... But this is... This isn't, and I looked around because if we think of this, this image, the orphans are the people in other place. Nepal. But we have orphans here in the foster care system. And I'll tell you this too, there are orphans in your church in places that you don't expect. See, I was between 13 and 14 years old when uh, my father was, was out of the picture, out of our home. And if there had not been men in that church who saw the orphan in me, in that situation to be my example, to study the word with me, to teach me to study the word, to play basketball with me. I was never good, but they made sure I did it and they took me camping and they took me fishing. I would not be the man I am today if those men had not treated me as a kind of orphan. 50% or more, it's always more, 
of marriages in this country end in divorce. And I'm going to tell you, too, there are divorce widows. For the most part, we, we, don't, see, we don't see our divorce widows. We don't see our, our, our single father or single mother, widows and widowers. And, and we don't see our single parent orphans because, for the most part, the system takes care of their financial needs. For the most part, there are a lot of safety nets in society. And, and so these, these older men and women who are alone can buy social security and pensions and whatever means, have a place to live and have food on the table and don't necessarily go hungry and don't necessarily go cold. And we don't see the widows and orphans in the streets. But there is a profound loneliness of disconnection from community. And we cannot let our divorce widows and our divorce orphans, even if they have everything they need financially, we can't let them be afflicted by the poverty of a lack of community. And the same goes true for, for those who are actually widowed and they too can be afflicted even if they have money, even if they have more money than any of us, even if it's the old widow or widower that practically funds the church. There's a profound loneliness. And religion that God approves, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit widows in their affliction and orphans to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, just quickly on keeping yourself unstained from the world, particularly in media culture. Um, I'm not going to go into great detail the ways in which the world can stain us in our media culture because everyone who's sitting there who's, who's involved with the Internet in any way knows exactly the kind of stains. It's very easy to, to, to roll around in like a, a pig in the muck on the Internet. Um, so don't. So be transformed by the word and don't. And if you need some help with it, there are, there are some practical ways uh, to set yourself apart from it. You can, if it's a computer issue, you can move the computer into the family room so that at all times everybody knows what's going on in the Internet. If you need to cut your Internet service provider, cut your Internet service provider. Not for nothing did the Lord say, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your internet provider causes you to sin, if your cable provider causes you to sin, then you don't need HBO and you don't need Google. And there's community for that too. And there are people, if that's your struggle, that you can talk to who will not condemn you, who will be your accountability partner, and, and who will keep it between you and them. Talk to any elder. Talk to any deacon. If that's something that you would like from us, we would like to give it to you. And that's all that I'm going to say about that aspect of our media culture. So in the end, what does doing and not hearing look like? I mean, uh, doing and not just hearing, but, but we have to hear. As a matter of fact, we have to listen carefully. It looks like this. Love each other, widows, orphans, and otherwise. Be a community 
do the work of God in the world. And I don't have to tell you what the work of God is because if you're doing that long form looking into the mirror, you know what the work of God is. It's all written down. So look deeply in the mirror that you've been given because this, love each other, serve each other, look deeply into the mirror of the word. This is your Christian discipline. And it's true in the digital age in every age. Father, make us disciples. Your great commission was to go through all the world, word, preaching and teaching everything that you taught, making disciples. Well, Lord, make us disciples. Make us students. Make us those who are dedicated to listening carefully before we speak and to looking deeply into the mirror of your word. Amen.